today in our series, Transformations, we're going to be taking a look at the cultural topic of the wellness movement. I think a lot of us are asking the question today of how can I live a more healthy, a more wealthy, and a more whole life? It's understandable at some level because 40% of Americans today are defined as obese. We have seen the acceleration and concentration of wealth at the top 5%. And most of us know someone, perhaps it's even us, who has struggled with anxiety or depression or even had suicidal thoughts at one point or another. The conversation on the wellness movement was something that happened before the coronavirus, but it seems like it's only intensified since. Our theme verses for our series Transformations comes to us from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul said this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that what is the good and acceptable and perfect. And if I could um, just summarize what Paul was saying here, he talks about the body, about the mind, and about our soul, submitting our bodies unto God, that our minds would, would be transformed by his truth, and our souls would find God's good and acceptable and pleasing will. And if I could just kind of summarize that and contextualize that, uh, in the context of our topic today on the wellness movement, I think Paul would say something like this. Do not be conformed to the world's vision of wellness for your life. It can easily become an idol. In the end, it cannot sanctify you or save you in the way that God desires. Instead, submit your bodies unto God so that he can transform your mind, and your life to find goods, God's good and acceptable and perfect will through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you will find God's wellness for your life. Uh, the wellness movement requires both discernment and understanding. It requires discernment because there are some helpful, practical elements of it for our health and our life. But then there are also some misleading spiritual practices that we can easily fall into that are part of the movement. And it requires an understanding of what God's will is for our life, how to discern and to understand uh, how we can find true transformation through him. There's an element of the wellness movement that is practically helpful uh, when it talks about um, our need for uh, Regular, good, restful sleep, seven, eight hours a day. That's very helpful. When it talks about uh, our need for exercise, our need to disconnect from our devices, uh, our need to not live lives that are constantly stressed, our need to eat food that uh, is good for us, not poisons us. I drink cold-pressed juice whenever I can. Uh, I drink my health through that. I take 12 vitamins and supplements every day. And I try and eat organic because I know that if I don't, I'm going to die a slow and painful and early death. And so there are aspects of the wellness movement that are actually practically helpful in terms of our overall health and well-being. But then there are areas that require discernment that are actually spiritually misleading about the movement. Uh, 
our bodies, we can start to see our bodies easily as an idol for us. We can uh, expose ourselves to some dangerous, unbiblical spiritual practices through this movement. And I have a friend who uh, was really into the wellness movement. He was going to these human potential seminars and conferences and inviting people to come along. He uh, would um, just constantly share with all of his friends uh, all of his um, wellness products that he was involved in as it was sort of the key to health. And he texted me a little while ago because he was in deeply into the wellness movement for many years. And he said, you know, I made a mistake. I place so much trust in uh, how I can live a, a life of wellness that I forgot to trust in God. I forgot to trust in God's vision for my life. And we want to be careful about that discernment between what is practically helpful and what could be spiritually misleading. And we need to focus on understanding what is God's vision for what we're going to call gospel-centered wellness for our spirits. And so today what we want to do is we want to compare and contrast the world's uh, wellness movement vision for our life against God's gospel wellness work and his vision for our life. And we want to look at three areas, the body, the mind, and the soul. These are three areas that are focused in the conversation of the wellness movement. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And the body, the mind, and the soul. We want to compare and contrast um, some of the different thinking that we're exposed to. And so let's go to the first, the body. There is a focus today on how our bodies can be pure, how our bodies can be healed as we take care of it. And uh, we hear talk about uh, we need to pay special attention to the food that we eat. There are different categories, whether you're vegetarian, lacto-vegetarian, vegan, vegan, uh, pescatarian, raw, local. They almost sound like different denominations. And there's other conversations related to our body having to do with uh, which essential oil uh, that we want to use in our lives that can bring peace to our minds and, and healing to our bodies. And there's a whole conversation about whether those are effective or not that's beyond the scope of this sermon. But there are many voices that talk about that in the public conversation. You're going to hear more in the future about how uh, people will be using psychedelics to address issues of mental health. And the question that we want to pose to ourselves is, what if, what if we all got on our Peloton uh, exercise bikes every single day? What if we were monitoring our health through our Apple watches and, and making sure that uh, the readings look good and, and we're hitting the markers that we're setting? What if we all ate organic. What if we regularly detoxified our bodies through a special diet? What if we did all of those things for our bodies? Would that be God's vision for our life, his primary vision for the use of our body? I think that there's a real error that the 21st century church can make in this era area of talking about the body in the context of the wellness movement. Sometimes we hear people within the church say things like, well, if you take care of your body, 
it has positive benefits for your spirit. If you uh, optimize your body, it's one of the ways that leads to spiritual health. And you can understand the temptation to say that if my body feels good, then usually my, uh, my mood feels good as well. But I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul who spoke to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Notice how Paul related uh, his body to his spirituality. Paul said this to the Corinthian church. He said that his body was not to be worshipped as a temple, but actually your body is to be recognized as the temple of the Holy Spirit. What you do with your body affects your spirit because the Holy Spirit lives within us who believe. And it's a result of the character choices we make. Paul said, secondly, that he disciplined his body to control it so that he would not be disqualified for ministry. When he talked about disciplining his body, he didn't mean running and jogging and doing marathons to keep in shape. He talked about making sure that his body was not involved in sin so that he would not be disqualified in the eyes of God and the church for spiritual service. Paul also talked about to the Corinthian church, he said that his outer self, his body, through all of the arduous journeys and and difficulties of his ministry, his outer self of his body, he said, was wasting away. But what? His inner self was being renewed by God day by day. His outer body was wasting away, but his inner spirit was becoming more like Christ. See, what the Apostle Paul knew when he's thinking about his body and his spirituality is his focus was not on the optimization of his physical body, but rather that his spirit was being renewed by God. Paul's focus was not on believing that if he purified his body by eating the right first century foods and exercising, his focus wasn't on that. His, because he knew that even if his body was optimally in shape and in health, it didn't mean that he had purity of spirit. And Paul recognized, though, that his character choices that he made as expressed through his body, did affect his spirit. And that's what we want to focus on. We want to understand that the maintenance of our bodies does not necessarily benefit our spirit in a biblical sense, but, but the choices we make with our bodies that is a reflection of our inner character does affect our spirit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that the eyes, that part of our body, they're, they're like a window into the soul. We either let light into our eyes, those things that are good, or we let darkness into our eyes, those things that are bad. And depending on what our eyes focus on, whether it's money or images we're not supposed to be looking on, it can be light or dark or goodness, it affects the condition of our heart, whether there's goodness in there or whether there's darkness. And so our eyes as part of our body affect our spirit because it is connected to our character. The apostle James said in James chapter one that our ears can be in a place where we can hear the word of God, but then not do it. And he says, if you're just a hearer of the word, but not a doer, your heart is hard, it's stubborn, it's unteachable 
then our hearts can actually be deceived. So our ears, what we hear and translate into what we do, whether it's God's will or not, can affect our hearts. James went on to say in James chapter 3 that our tongue is like a fire that sets the world aflame, that it can unleash unrighteousness, he says, and stain the whole body, James chapter 3. Even our physical tongue, our mouth, the words that come out of uh, uh, our, our mouth towards other people or towards God can actually be spiritually defiling. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 6 that the Lord hates those whose feet run towards evil. And so the maintenance of the body is not necessarily translate into spiritual purity or healing. However, how we use different parts of our body, whether it's the eyes or the ears or the mouth or the feet, are a reflection of our inner character and can affect our spirituality in positive or negative ways. And so what we want to do is think about the wellness movement in terms of our body and say there are practical health benefits to a point. But more important is for me to focus on how I am using different parts of my body for the glory of God or giving in to the flesh and conforming to the world. And so I thought what we would do right now is just practice that. Using our mouth, using this part of our body to, to honor God and to uh, cleanse our spirituality. The Apostle John said in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, he said, that if we confess with our mouth, if we confess our sins, God will forgive us our sins. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I think using our body, using our mouth to confess sinfulness in our own life is really one of the main keys to spiritual purity. And I want to ask you, City Bible Church, um, in what ways do you need to confess uh, sinfulness in your life, whether it's our thoughts that have gone astray in terms of our greed, our pride, uh, whether we've expressed sinful anger towards other people, impatience, whether we've been self-serving in our lives, uh, whether we've um, been seeking out the uh, idolizing the things of the world, uh, expressing foolishness, lust, whatever that might be, or failing even to do the good that God wants us to do and instead running towards evil as Solomon said. And we want to take this moment and to, to just kind of examine our lives and, and use our body, this part of our body, our mouths, to confess things in our lives that we, we need forgiveness of, we need cleansing of, we need to, um, to turn to the Lord and give that up to the Lord and say, Lord, live through me. I submit my body unto you as my spiritual act of worship, Romans chapter 12. And, um, and conform me to the image of Jesus Christ, because in my own power, I am failing. I, I give into temptation, the testing, the trial, it is too much. And so I need to rely on Christ. And so I confess that, would you cleanse me through the power of the Holy Spirit as I do that? And we want to do a second thing with our mouth. We actually this morning want to receive communion. We want to take the... Uh, the bread that represents the broken body of Christ and the juice that sheds the shed, represents the shed blood of Christ. And we want to use our mouths 
to remember the Lord's crucifixion for our sin, uh, to overcome death for those of us who believe. And as we remember this and we take the bread, as we drink the juice that represents uh, Christ's work on the cross, I believe God blesses you. I believe that um, there is um, there's a measure of sanctification that happens in our life as we come to the Lord and we confess our need for a Savior and, um, and say, Lord, just wash me white as snow, separate me from my sin as far as east is from west. And I know that it's only through Christ in me who gives, uh, who is the power and the presence within me who does that. And so let's do that, church. For those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, uh, this is a moment where we, we will use this part of our body for true spiritual cleansing and purity and spiritual healing, which is far more important than anything we're doing for our physical body this morning. So let's receive this together. Amen. And amen. We want to look at a second area of focus of the wellness movement, not just on our physical bodies, but on our minds. And one of the conversations in the wellness movement is how our minds can be transformed to be more peaceful, to be more peaceful. And uh, we are taught that one of the key ways to have a mind that is more peaceful is through meditation, through mindfulness, through clearing our minds, through um, just kind of slowing down and coming into the silence that these things will remove stress from our lives. It will help us to cope with our lives as we slow down, as we de-stress, as we slow down our thinking, or even clear our minds. And some people in the wellness movement uh, get deep into yoga and yoga meditation. Oftentimes people start with yoga just as exercise, but 30% of the people who start with yoga as exercise actually end up integrating uh, the, the meditative aspect in a deep way. That yoga was designed to um, unleash within you, according to Eastern mysticism, something called the kundalini spirit. It's uh, represented as an image that lives within each person of a snake. And as people take the yoga poses, which are in a sense designed, many of them, to make contort your body to look like a snake, uh, it's designed along with meditation to unleash what they call the kundalini spirit, which works itself through the different chakras that they talk about that are supposedly located in your body to clear your mind, to take over your soul. And it's not just exercise for your body. The goal is to get into your mind. And I think that there is an error that the church does today when it looks at certain aspects of uh, meditation that can introduce Eastern mysticism into our lives. And some people within the church say, well, you know, there are examples in church history of medieval monks 
as they just sit in silence, as they try and clear their minds, as even they do chanting something called Lexio Divina, uh, which was introduced um, in, in the monasteries. And the idea was to take one part of scripture in Lexio Divina and just chant it and until your mind focuses on a word or a phrase or an image that you feel God has given to you and you just keep saying the scripture over and over again in a chant to focus your mind on it. And so I think some in the church look at that and say, well, the monks did it. And so it must be okay for the church today to do the same things. That isn't the goal to have a more peaceful mind by clearing your mind. Isn't the goal to have a peaceful mind by chanting something and by um, trying to sit in the silence, waiting for God to speak to you. And what we discover in Scripture is actually the exact opposite. We find the overwhelming testimony of Scripture that we are not to primarily clear our minds or to chant, but we are to fill our minds. We are to renew our minds with God's truth. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are to have our minds renewed by God's truth. We are to fill our minds with God's truth. We are to focus our minds on the things, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, that are right and true and noble and excellent and praiseworthy and lovely. And we are to focus on those things, whether they are from God or just in general in life. We are not to clear our minds, primarily to focus and deal with our anxiety, but rather Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, we are to humble ourselves before God. We are to cast our anxiety upon God in prayer and say, Lord, help me. This burden is too great. God, help me to, uh, to see your perspective on this and, and to, to work through this and to deal with my anxiety. Bring to me help, Lord. And it is the burden is too great. We are to cast our anxiety upon the Lord. We are to deal with anxiety in the way Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, that recognizing God takes care of the birds of the air and the grass of the field. And he cares so much more about us, Jesus said in Matthew 6. And so uh, we are to seek first his kingdom. We are to be in community with God's people, doing God's work and seeking his righteousness and God will take care of your needs. Jesus promises this. And these are ways that we are actually to use our minds and our lives to deal primarily with anxiety. And thirdly, this morning, I want to take a brief look at the wellness movement's discussion on the soul. We looked at body briefly. We looked at the mind and the soul and how the soul, soul's purpose it's to discover its human potential. And there are many voices in the wellness movement that talk about the law of attraction, that your thoughts control your world, that if you think positive thoughts, positive things will tend to happen. So it says, if you think negative thoughts, negative things will tend to happen. If you're around positive people, positive things happen, and negative, and so on and so forth. And there's this belief that there is this sort of divine spark that has been placed within every human being that is just waiting to be excavated, waiting to be uncovered. We hear talk about mastery, that we need to practice self-mastery, 
We need to practice business mastery to be focused in the business world in order to have success, to achieve our full potential as human beings. We hear talk about that we can create our own success and that we need to pursue the gift of our life that uh, we have and as a blessing towards others. And I think that, again, there is an error that the church can make amidst all of this talk of the soul's pursuit of human potential that some in the church, in the midst of that discussion, their response is to say, well, anything that we can learn that is prosperous, that is helpful to us as human beings, uh, it must be from God. Well, because all truth is God's truth. And so if I see something that is true in some other kind of teaching, then it must be helpful because all truth is God's truth. And there's an error there because it, the assumption that's being made is that what you're seeing that is true is that which you're determining what is helpful for you. All things that you deem as helpful in your life may not be defined in the end as coming from God may not be actually God's truth. It's only our truth that we have defined as truth and assigned it towards God because we think that it's helpful to our life, no matter where the source. And I think there's a real error that the church can make there. A second error that the church can make amidst this sole conversation of human potential is that we can look at Jesus and we can think Jesus came to demonstrate to us what it looks like to actualize our potential as human beings. And so if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to um, follow in his footsteps and obey him and copy his life, it is primarily because, the thinking goes, that Jesus discovered the way to optimize, to maximize what it means to be human. He discovered the way to human potential through God, And so, therefore, that's why we need Jesus in our life, so that we, too, like Jesus, can discover our own human potential just as he did. He teaches us what it means to be the ultimate human being, and so we want to be the ultimate human beings, and so, therefore, we should follow that example. The Bible doesn't talk that way about the soul's journey. Uh, We're not here on earth to seek out our human potential. What we are here for is to live through Christ and have Christ live through us. We are not here to seek out our human potential, but we are here to seek out God's will for our life. That's what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12. And God's good and acceptable and pleasing will may or may not be the same as our own vision or the wellness's vision for your life, for your own human potential. Question, what if God's will for your life was not for you to achieve what you think is your human potential, but rather for you to be crushed so that God could come out of you, so that Jesus could be on display in your life? What if God's will for your life was that you actually decrease so that he could increase in your life. See, the human potential conversation truly um, 
is not biblical. And when you look in the pages of scripture, there is this word, teleos, teleos in the Greek. It had to do with how we are perfected, how we are matured, how we achieve a full stature uh, before God and how God shapes us in those ways into his image. What we discover in the Bible is that we are perfected through our trials as we persevere through them, as we seek God's wisdom through our various trials and testings. And as we persevere, God shapes our character. James chapter 1, that is how we achieve um, wellness through the gospel in terms of our soul, is through trials and testings and persevering through them. We are also perfected, teleos, through keeping God's word and not sinning against God. First John chapter 2, that that is how God shapes our character. That's how we achieve um, the life that God wants us to have in obedience to his commands. And that is a good thing. That is life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's life-giving? Um, God does. And we are perfected as we love one another sacrificially in the church, as we love other believers in the church. First John chapter 4, it says, that as we love one another, God's love comes out of us and we are perfected in that experience and process. So in the wellness movement, we haven't had time to look at all these different aspects. We just wanted to give a few key thoughts on body, mind, and soul and compare and contrast that between what the gospel of Jesus Christ says about God's vision for our own spiritual wellness. It is not to say, again, that there are not some practically helpful elements of this movement, but we have to be very careful about being very discerning about what's practically helpful versus what can be spiritually misleading in the wrong direction and what can expose us to spiritually dark forces. And that is my prayer for us here today, is that um, God desires life for you. Jesus said in Matthew, uh, John chapter 10, that he has come so that we may have life and have it to the full. But he didn't mean by that, that we could experience all the, the, uh, amazing types of life that we can and, and squeeze every ounce of adventure from life and, and goodness from life that we possibly, that's not really what he had in mind when he said that you may have life and have it to the full. What he was really saying is that, that his life may come into our lives and that it is his life that brings life to our dead souls, Ephesians 2, and that it's him living through us as the fullness of God, Colossians 1, that he may bring life to us by conforming our will to his will, Romans 8, and giving us eternal life because he has given us forgiveness from evil and he has overcome death and so we have eternal life to the full. And so let's remember that church, that God's vision, his gospel wellness vision for you through the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word may be very different than what you're hearing from the world in terms of the wellness movement. 
And so let's be steadfast, let's be discerning, let's understand God's vision for our life, and uh, we will live a blessed, well life.